Well, while they're taking their seats, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and you will turn to the book of Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. But before we jump into Matthew chapter 10, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we serve a Savior that is so great that he's worth singing about. Father, we thank you for all the truths that they sang in that song. Father, we thank you that uh, your life, your death, and your resurrection, they all were for us. And Father, we thank you for the grand plans that you have for us. And Father, we thank you for the life that you have set us free to live. Father, I pray that as we jump into your word today that we would uh, not settle for the cultural Christianity that the world sells us. But Lord, I pray that we would see what true discipleship looks like straight from the mouth of your son. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 10, and if you're keeping up with the things that we've been preaching through, we started in Matthew chapter 1, and we've been working our way through, and we've talked about that Jesus is on the scene, Jesus has been proclaimed the King of the Jews, He's been proclaimed the Son of God, and He's proven Himself to be worthy of all of these titles. He has uh, withstood temptation, He's been given the two thumbs up from God when God says, this is my Son and whom I'm well pleased. And he's preached the Sermon on the Mount. He finishes the Sermon on the Mount. And the people say, who is this man? He's not like our scribes and Pharisees, but he teaches as one having authority. And then you leave the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus begins to exhibit all of his authority over demons, over sickness, over death, over distance. And all of these things, we see that Jesus is greater than everything amongst him. And every single thing, including the weather and the storms and the seas, they listen to him and they do what he says. So from all the way from the weather to everything in the demonic realm, they all listen and abide by the words of Jesus. And so now Jesus is going to begin to get his program started. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 says this. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of sickness and every kind of disease. Now the names of these 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. And so that verse 4, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him, that that. Uh, Judas, the one who betrayed him, is going to kind of be evident throughout the rest of this chapter and maybe even the next chapter. And I'm going to refer back to it as kind of a, a stake that is put down that here you have 12 people who Jesus has called to himself to serve him. And one of them is known as the one who betrayed him. So not everyone who looks like they're part of the bunch really is part of the bunch. And that's a scary, scary thing about Matthew chapter 10. And this is going to be a really tough chapter as we dig into it. But listen to what Jesus does after he summons them and he sends them out. In verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans. And so he gives them instructions. He says, Listen, I want you to go to the Jewish people. Don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. You're only going to the Jewish people right now. And so you may say, well, that's not fair. Why is he only going to the Jews? Listen, he is just rolling out this new covenant and this new plan. And he's starting with his chosen people. 
And so this mission and this plan isn't ready to go to the whole world yet. This is kind of, if you were to, the CEO of a big corporation, you would roll out plans gently. You don't just blow the lid off of everything and, and give a widespread plan. Sometimes you just ease into it. And that's what he's going to do here. And so he says, don't go to these people, but go to these people. Verse 6, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he gives them a destination, and then he gives them a message in verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he wants them to go to a certain people, and he wants them to preach a certain thing. They've got a clear message, and that message is, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what in the world does it mean for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand? Well... The kingdom of heaven is here. When Jesus comes on the scene, the kingdom of heaven came to earth. And so what is a kingdom? A kingdom is a a city or a group or a location that's under the rule of a king. You got to have a king in order to have a kingdom. And so Jesus is on the scene and he's proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is here. And so the king is here and we want you to be a part of this kingdom But in order to be a part of this kingdom, there's requirements. Like there's some, it takes something to be a part of the kingdom of heaven as opposed to the rest of the world. And that's going to be laid out here as we go. So you get into verse eight and Jesus gives them uh, kind of what their marching orders are. So you're going to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, verse seven. And then verse eight, he gives his disciples the same authority that he had. Right? So he's, he's delegated this authority to them and they're going to do the same works and miracles that the king, that the king has been doing. So this is going to give proof and evidence to the ministry that they have. He says, verse eight, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. And so hopefully you've been keeping up. And this is Matthew chapter eight and nine. Everything that Jesus did. He's healed sick, he's raised the dead, he's cleansed lepers, he's cast out demons. And so all of the things that they have seen their teacher doing, they're to go and do. And so hopefully you notice that Jesus isn't asking them to do anything that he hasn't already done. He's already been preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember, before he gets baptized and he starts his ministry, excuse me, after he gets baptized and he begins his ministry, what's his message? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now he's going to send his 12 guys out. And they're going to preach the same message he's preaching. And they're going to do the same things that Jesus is doing. But then he gives them more instructions. Verse 9. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts. Or a bag for your journey. Or even two coats or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worthy of his support. And so he says, I want you to go. And I want you to go on faith that I'm going to take care of you. Verse 11, in whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. So when you go into the city, ask who is worthy. And this isn't a who is who is worthy kind of the way that we think of. But this is a who is of spiritual and moral uh, depth that you can stay with them. So I want you to go to somebody who has spiritual and moral values and stay with them. That's the sort of person I want you to stay with. And so it says, as you enter the house, give it your greeting. Verse 12. Now verse 13. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. 
Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words as you go out of that house or city, shake the dust off of your feet. And so as these disciples are going to go around teaching and preaching and proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as they're performing all these miracles, if the city doesn't accept them, they're to go out of the city, they're to leave it, and they're to shake the dust off of their feet. Sometimes uh, if you were a Jewish, if you were a devout Jew and you were to go to a Gentile city, so you would go do your business in Edenton, right? Loosen up, gang. It's okay. You'd go do your business somewhere. And then when you left that city and you got to the edge of your city, you take off your shoes and you would symbolically dust off your shoes saying that you're leaving all of the uncleanliness of that city there and you're not going to bring that sort of uncleanliness into the homeland. And so that's kind of the symbology behind all of this. And so here, if a city doesn't accept you, or excuse me, yeah, if a city doesn't accept you or a house doesn't accept you, shake the dust off your feet and that's an outward symbol that that is an unclean house and you don't want anything to do with it. And this is part of God's kingdom. And so you're drawing a line in the sand that we're proclaiming God's kingdom. We've just been somewhere that doesn't want anything to do with God's kingdom. And so we're shaking the dust off of our feet and we're not having anything to do with it. It's an outward sign of what's going on. And then he says in verse 15, Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. And so this is where we get this idea that there are more judgments based on your actions. That when everyone is... When everyone dies and they either go to heaven or they go to hell, you're given rewards or punishments. And this is one of the key texts to to justify that there are people who will be in hell that will have worse consequences and penalties than others will. And so, listen to what this means. Listen to the implications of this. Because these people who have rejected Christ's messengers, they haven't been murdering. They haven't been committing all sorts of adulteries that, that we don't consider good. They're not... They're not bad people. They're just rejecting God's messengers. And it says, truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. And so what this is saying that is for the people in the cities that reject God and reject his messengers, it's going to be worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. And hopefully you remember Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels went to Sodom and Gomorrah to... uh, to rescue Lot, the people of the town wanted to have their way with the angels. There was all sort of grotesque uh, sexual sins going on in the city that were just absolutely disgusting. And it says that it's going to be worse for these people than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. And you go, well, how is that? What do you mean? Well, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these people. And they say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, as you all know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when they come to Jesus and they say, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, then that would mean the greatest offense would be to break the greatest commandment, right? And so that means that the the way that we think about things and the way that we rate sin is different than God's economy. And so he says here, for people who reject 
God's message and his messengers, it's going to be worse for them than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is right in line with John chapter 3, verse 17. It says that God came into the world and people rejected him. And the judgment has already been handed to them that the light came into the world and people love the darkness more than they love the light. And so when someone dies and they stand before Christ, the only reason that they go to hell and they suffer an eternal judgment is because they rejected Christ. And it's out of that rejection of Christ that all of those other bad deeds that you and I think are bad, it's out of that rejection of Christ that they did all of those things. And so listen, brothers and sisters, it's not enough to do good works because good works don't get you into heaven. It's what you do with Jesus Christ that gets you into heaven. And so here you see that rejecting Jesus Christ is the worst thing that you can do. And it's worse than all of those sins that we label as bad. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Behold, listen to this. Take note. So Jesus is telling his disciples this, and he wants them to listen because if you just, if you just listened to, uh, verses five through 15, you would think, wow, this is going to be a pretty easy journey for the disciples. You're sending us out. Uh, if people don't accept us, we leave them, have nothing to do with them. We're going to heal sick. We're going to raise the dead. What could possibly go wrong if you've been sent out by Jesus with a great message? And if people reject you, you're just not to worry about it. You would, you would think, boy, I'm going to be a hot shot, right? Uh, I don't see anybody else raising the dead and cleansing lepers. And so Jesus gets their attention and he says, listen to this. Take note. Behold, verse 16, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent of doves. And so you go, wait a minute. I thought we were going to be doing all of these great things. And now you're telling us that you're sending us out as sheep. You made it sound like we're going to be the wolves, that we're going to have the upper hand. And he says, no, I'm sending you out as sheep. And so you need to be as clever as a serpent. And you need to be as innocent as a dove. And this is something that the church is getting better and better and better at, I think, in finding innovative ways to reach a lost world. We are to be innovative in taking the gospel out. We're to be uh, as shrewd as serpents, as clever as serpents. And we're also supposed to be innocent as doves. And so we can come up with all sorts of great ways to reach the culture around us. But in all of those things, we're to be innocent and sin-free. And so that means that there's a line somewhere that we don't need to cross in taking the gospel out. And that line is we don't need to be sinning as we take it out. So Jesus goes on with the rest of the message in verse 17, and he says, but beware of men. Now, wait a minute. If I'm healing the sick and I'm raising the dead, I'm cleansing the leopards and I'm casting out demons. How could anybody argue with that? Like I'm doing all of these great things as a disciple of Christ on this mission that he's just given me. Why do I need to beware of men? And so listen to this. Beware of men for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, we are waging war in a spiritual battle. And the world hates Jesus Christ and everything about him. And if you don't believe me, you watch the news and read articles just a little bit. And you see the 
sorts of evils and nasty things that an organization like Planned Parenthood has to say about Christians and the, and the morals and the values that we stand for. You look and see how vile people get when Jesus' name is brought to the, brought to the table. It is absolutely nasty. And the reason is, is because we serve a king who demands 100% alliance to him. And people who are not in allegiance with Christ, most of the time, absolutely hate the things of God because of the conviction that it brings on their life. Because they want to be the rulers of their own kingdom. And that doesn't get you anywhere in God's economy. So we keep going. And so those people... They're going to hate you. They're going to hand you over to the courts and scourge you. They're going to hand you over to governors and say, you think, well, what, what do we do when that happens? Verse 19. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to say. For it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. And so when these things happen, when they hand you over to the courts, when they scourge you in front of the synagogues, when they want to make a mockery of you, don't worry about what you're going to say because God's spirit is going to speak through you and he's going to give you the words to say. He's going to be right there with you in the midst of, of, of the wolves and he's going to be the one helping you. And then he goes on to say, verse 21, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. And you say, well, this doesn't happen. This isn't something that affects us. You go one mile outside of Israel to a country called Jordan, and you convert from an Arab religion to Christianity and you see if your mother and father don't kill you. Brothers and sisters, this is all around us. We are surrounded by nations, surrounded by nations who serve a false God. And if you convert from their false God to the one true living God, their own family members will kill them and cast them out of their family. There are, there are Arab and Muslim faiths that where if you convert from their faith to Christianity, they will hold a funeral service for you because you are dead to the family and they will have nothing to do with you. And if any of you saw the popular movie that was out, God's Not Dead, there's a really emotional scene in the movie where there's a Muslim gal who comes to Christ and she's, she's simply listening to Christian music in her home and her father finds out and her father banishes her from the house. And this is a scene in a movie, but this is a true aspect of life that is going on all around us, all for the sake of following Christ. And listen to me very closely. If you lose your whole family and all of your friends for the sake of following Christ, you have lost nothing. Because following Christ is worth losing every single thing around you. All of your possessions and everything that you know to be good in this world is worth losing for the sake of Christ. And you're going to see that later on in this passage. And so he says in verse 2, he says in verse 22, You'll be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. And so sometimes as Baptists, we like to blow this horn that says once saved, always saved. But this is clear that if you're going to be a loyal subject in the kingdom of God, you are going to endure to the end. And But I want to make clear that it's not your endurance that saves you. 
Rather, your endurance is the proof of your salvation. You with me? And so true followers of the kingdom or true citizens of the kingdom of God will endure to the end whatever life throws at them. And that proves that they were actually in the kingdom. So he talks more about persecution. Verse 23. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you that you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now some of this passage Jesus is talking about uh, kind of end of times prophecies. Talking about the end of times and some of this. But he goes on to verse 24 and he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. And so he says, listen, you are my followers. You are my slaves. You are my disciples. It's enough for you to be like me. He's not pushing us to be more than he was, but he's saying that whoever you're discipling, you need to be pushing them to be more like you. And in in a way, Paul is going to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so Paul kind of takes what Jesus says, and when he applies it to himself, he tells his disciples, you follow me in so much as I'm following Christ. And so as you disciple people, you're always pushing them to Christ, not just to be like you. So he says, it's enough, verse 25, for a disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, that would be one of the chief demons of their time, they, they called him. How much more will they malign the members of his household? So he's telling the people, listen, I'm calling you to be partakers of my kingdom. I'm calling you to be citizens in my kingdom, the kingdom of God. But listen, I am the king in the kingdom of God, and they, the world, are calling me Satan. And so if they have maligned me, they're going to malign you also. Therefore, verse 26, therefore do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And so, brothers and sisters, when people do things behind your back, when people scheme around you, saying, listen, don't worry. Because one day, everything that's been concealed will be out in the open. Listen, there have been times where things have happened to me and my family, and I have wanted to stand on a high hill and tell everybody exactly what's going on. But he says, listen, don't worry about all that. One day, everything that's concealed won't be hidden anymore. And it's all going to be revealed and everything's going to be known. And so there's no need for you to worry about that stuff. He says in verse 27, What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. There's no, there's no secrets in the kingdom of God. If you're in the business of keeping secrets and closed door type meetings, that doesn't happen in the kingdom of God. Do not fear, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so you go, ooh, this should should set you back a little bit. This should strike fear into you. But this should also be encouraging to you because you, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you don't have to fear anything, but God tells you where to focus your fear, and you need to focus your fear on him. Why? Because he's the one who has the power not only to destroy you, but to destroy your soul and body in hell. 
Listen, whatever you go through following Christ, whatever sort of persecutions you face, that is nothing compared to what God is going to do to the people who are bringing the persecutions. And so don't fear those people. Your soul is safe with the king. Now, he says in verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And a cent here is one-sixteenth of a daily wage. And so whatever you make in a half hour is an average daily wage. That's what the cent is here. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet one of them, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And so he says, listen. You, he says, look how invaluable these sparrows are. Sparrows are a dime a dozen. They're invaluable. But not one of them falls to the ground without your father knowing. He says, your father cares about every single hair on your head. As a matter of fact, they're all numbered. The gray ones and the regular ones. They're all numbered. He says, so don't fear. This is, this is a, a very personal touch here. But don't be afraid because he cares about you. You're much more valuable than many sparrows. Verse 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. And so your encouragement should be this. In the midst of persecution and trials and in the midst of carrying out the mission of God, you should be readily confessing God before men. Because when you confess God before men, then the Father is going to confess you before the, the son is going to confess you before the father. And how encouraging is this? That one day, if you have been a faithful servant in God's kingdom, one day you are going to stand before God and the son is going to speak on your behalf. He is going to confess you before the father and he's going to say, he is one of mine. It doesn't get any better than that. It absolutely gets no better than that. And so, for everyone who confesses me before men, I'll confess him before my Father who is in heaven. And this is one of those places where you don't need to buy into a watered-down, weak theology. Don't read easy salvation into this. But if you confess the Son before men, he'll confess you. If you deny him, the Father will deny you. Listen, this is not just with your words. Judas Iscariot confessed Jesus. Judas Iscariot was in this group of people who were casting out demons, who were cleansing lepers and all of that. And so he confessed Jesus and he hid behind Jesus the whole time he's doing the works of the devil. And so be careful not to be someone who confesses Jesus with their mouth, but denies him every day with their actions. Because actions speak louder than words. And when you stand before God, He is the absolute perfect judge, and he judges not just your actions, but he judges your heart. And so be very careful that your mouth and your actions match each other. Then he says this, Whoever denies me before men, I'll deny him before my Father who's in heaven. Verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so this time he didn't come to bring peace. Ultimately, he'll reign on this earth and he'll bring peace with him. But on this trip, he didn't come for peace. He says, verse 35, I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The gospel absolutely divides. 
The gospel unifies all of those who are partakers of the gospel, but the gospel is very divisive in weeding out people who aren't believers in it. You following me? And so if you're part of a family and, and part of you believes the gospel and part of you doesn't, it's a dividing line. And we need to pray for our families who are split over the gospel. We need to absolutely be praying that their family members be saved. And so he says, I came for this purpose. And I'm telling you that you need to not, I'm telling you, that you need to not water these things down. But you need to hold your love for the Father above the love that you have for your wife, above the love that you have for your parents, and above the love that you have for your children. Because he said, whoever loves any of those people more than me, is not worthy of me. If you love your son or your daughter or your parents or your mother or your father, if you love anything or anybody else above Christ, they or that is the king in your kingdom. And there's only room for one king in the kingdom of God, and that's Jesus Christ. And so anything that we hold above him is the king and that is not acceptable and you are then not worthy for the kingdom of God. We have got to be a people who love Christ more than anything else that the world has to offer, no matter what. Amen? And let me just say just for a minute, whenever I do marriage counseling with anybody, I will look the husband in the eye. And I will tell him, if you can find it in yourself to love God more than you love that pretty lady sitting there that you want to spend the rest of your life with. If you can love God more than you love everything else, you will have so much more love available for that individual that it's incomprehensible. And if you're not listening with spiritual ears, I fully expect for me to sound like an idiot when I said that. But it's true. If you can find it in yourself to love God more than absolutely anything else in this earth, you will have more love for your children. You'll have more love for your spouse and for everything else that's important to you. But you've got to have your love prioritized. That's what he's saying here. Verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And so a cross would be something that is easily understood in this Jewish day. A cross is an instrument of cruel death. And he says, listen, if you won't pick up your cross and follow me, if you won't pick up this instrument of death and you won't love me unto death, you're not worthy of me. And listen, this is not the preacher saying all of these things. All of these things come right. They're all in red. They come straight from the mouth of Jesus. And so Jesus says, if you don't love him all the way to death, you're not worthy of being in the kingdom. He says, he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. And this is an interesting principle. And tonight at, at Lawrence Academy's baccalaureate, I'll talk more about this. But I have worked with people. This is verse 39. I have worked with people who in doing whatever job we were doing, they'll look around and they'll go, this is what God made me for. And I'll become burdened for them. Because God didn't create you 
for whatever your vocation is. God gave you your vocation. And hopefully he gave you contentment in your vocation. But whatever it is he gave you is a platform so that you could proclaim the gospel to the world. And you could make Christ's name famous in the rest of the world. And so whatever you do, if you're the best widget builder in the world, God didn't create you to build widgets. He created you to use that platform to take the fame of the king to the rest of the world. It just so happens he's made you good and given you contentment in what you do. But we are children of the king and we are to be pushing the kingdom of heaven forward and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. That's what you were created for. And so he says that whoever's found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. And let me tell you that if you will begin to view your vocations and your jobs, if you will do them with excellence and you will use them as a platform and taking the gospel to the ends of the world, you will find much more contentment in life and you'll also find much more contentment in your job because you'll be using it then for a purpose. And then what you'll also find is that your identity will be in Christ, not just in making widgets. And all of this only makes sense through Christ. And so you'll only find your real life if you lose it for Christ's sake. Verse 40, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple... Gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink. Truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. And so Jesus, at the end of all of this, we could talk for for hours about this passage. But he's saying, listen, the little things you do for the little people matter. And none of them go unnoticed in the kingdom of God. And so no matter how great or small of a task you're doing, everything that you do in the name of the Lord is, is taken note of in God's kingdom. And so listen, if you're here and you go, I I don't know if according to the things that Jesus said, if I'm worthy for the kingdom or not. The good news is, brothers and sisters, that the king is forgiving. And whatever you have done, whatever secrets you have, whatever your life looked like in the past, the king is willing to forgive you as long as your feet are on this earth. And you and I were reminded, especially this week, that you don't know how long your feet are going to be on this earth. And so the king will forgive you for anything that you've ever done. The king became a man and he went to the cross and he died on the cross to pay for all of your sins. And then he rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life. And so if you're here and you don't feel like you measure up for the kingdom, if you will repent of your sins and put your faith in the king, you will then be worthy of the kingdom, not because of you, but because of what Christ did for you. And if you'll confess the king before men, he'll confess you before the father. And there is nothing greater than that. And so I pray that if you're here and you've never been saved, you've never put your faith in Christ, I pray today would be the day you do it. Maybe you're here And you've always thought you're saved based on something you've always been told. But maybe you've read here that you don't measure up for the kingdom of God. There's room for you also. It is never too late. The worst thing that could happen would be for somebody to sit under the teaching of God's word for their whole life and die lost. There is room for anybody who will come regardless of age or lifestyle or anything. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son. Lord, we thank you that he is a gracious and forgiving king. And Father, I pray for all of us here as believers. Lord, I pray that we would be worthy followers and worthy citizens of the kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would follow you unto death. Lord, I pray that we would follow you regardless of the cost. And Father, I pray that as we follow you, you would give us the grace and the strength to follow you all the way to the end. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us when the times get tough. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day they get saved. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would stand for a hymn of invitation. It was a joy, as always, worshiping the Lord with you all. Our uh, 55th, 55th, <laughs> 55 yes votes to four no votes. And so our committee is going to uh, proceed in finding us a youth and children's pastor. And so uh, as we uh, continue to do that, I hope that you would be in prayer for them. Uh, it's not an easy job. There's a lot of responsibility involved. And sometimes you feel like the weight of the church and the kids are on your shoulders. So pray for them. Uh, pray that Jack will carry us all the way through faithfully. Amen. Pray for big shoulders. And so uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer, as we close, I want to remind you that if you're on the committee, we're going to meet briefly in the conference room. And I'm going to ask uh, Brother Jack Powell if you would close us in prayer.